Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is most certainly true. Jesus is alive and death is dead. His tomb is empty and our hearts are full. His promises are fulfilled. The victory has been won. Easter brings fullness and life and joy and meaning and hope into our lives and brings them in fullest measure. Our songs of Alleluia will never end. Join us to worship our risen Lord with this Easter sermon recently delivered at Grace. The Holy Gospel, John's Gospel, chapter 20. This portion of scripture is the basis for my sermon today. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. It's the truth, the women said. We actually did see angels. We might sound like we're crazy, but they told us that he's alive. That's right, piped in Peter. John and I raced to the tomb early this morning. It's empty. And we saw the grave clothes neatly folded. What does that tell you? No, no burglar. And how about this? Just a few hours ago this afternoon, he appeared to me personally. Ah, you're probably hallucinating, Peter. You're probably making that up just because 
The last time he looked at you was with a look of utter disappointment at your denial. Alive? exclaimed James. That's impossible. Okay, we saw him raise Lazarus from the dead a few weeks ago, proof of his divine power. But he was dead as a doornail on Friday afternoon and buried. He must have lost his divine power. I think we have to be realistic and figure out what we're going to do now that he's gone. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Andrew added. We need a plan to get out of town because the authorities have eliminated him, the big threat to their power and pride and pocketbooks, and now, now they're probably going to come looking for us. How would you feel if you were there huddled in that house in Jerusalem with Jesus' first followers. Do you think with the specter of death spooking around that you would have had a little flash of fear floating through your veins, a little dollop of doubt? The Apostle John was there at Easter evening and he records for us in today's Gospel account, in his account in chapter 20, Something fantastic and amazing. It has to do with locked doors and a key. Normally, fear is not something that we sign up for, but it's real. It happens. Just look at all the people with wearing masks nowadays. And check out the eyes of people that you pass by in the grocery store aisle, and God forbid, step closer than six feet at the self-check line. But you know what? Before this coronavirus situation, there are plenty of reasons for fear. I locked my car all the time. I locked my house. I avoided dark alleys. I was thankful for Homeland Security and the law enforcement heroes that we have to keep this building safe so that bad guys wouldn't bash down our church doors. Plenty of reasons for fear all over, but I'll be honest with you, the biggest fear that troubles me is on on the inside. How could I do such stupid things and say such hurtful things when, when I know better? And then, thinking of what I've said or done, that's wrong. How can I face God and face God's people? I'll tell you what, this fear caused by guilt, knowing what I did wrong, and, and fear of the consequences of sin. That's just, this fear is awful. It's like being in a room that's locked with no doorknob and no keyhole. That's how Jesus' first followers must have felt on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Fear! In spite of the reports coming in from from Mary of Magdala, from the women, from Peter, from the Emmaus disciples, they had to still reckon with fear outside of the doors of this house and inside the doors of their hearts. On the outside, they were worried that the religious leaders would get Roman stormtroopers to knock down the doors and do to them what they had done to Jesus. And on the inside, they were bothered with 
guilt for not understanding, for not believing, for running away. But all of a sudden, with the doors locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again. He said to them, Peace be with you. Peace. Peace is not just, shh, let's be quiet around here. No, peace is the calming and soothing reassurance. I have paid the price for your sins. Jesus didn't need a key to get into that house, into that room. He didn't need a key to get into the disciples' heart. He is the key. Bringing peace with God and removing fear. Do the thoughts that you have wronged others and thus wronged God bother you? Are you afraid of the consequences Not just getting whacked verbally by the people we have hurt, which is what we deserve and I certainly deserve, but getting kicked into outer darkness by God. Do you have those fears? Jesus has risen. He's alive. And he comes into your heart and mine with the reassuring announcement, I paid the price for all of your sin." So you now are okay with God. You are at peace with God. Jesus doesn't need a key to get into our hearts. He is the key. Removing the fear of the consequences, the eternal consequences of sin. Social media has been a blessing for those who care to make use of it during this safer at home time, in order to stay connected with others. But you probably are well aware of the fact that over the last several years, social media has been abused by a few people who think it's funny to post fake, fake news. Whether fake news makes you chuckle or shake your head in disgust, wouldn't you agree that fake news spreads doubt? Uh Uh-oh! I just said it. I just used the word doubt. And when I said it, we have now stepped into one of the biggest challenges that we Christians face. Like stepping in front of a 60 mile an hour moving freight train. We live in a world that feasts on doubt. How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know that Jesus is God? How can you say that what you believe is better than what others believe? Doubt is disturbing. It's distressing. It's like being in a locked room and the floor starts shaking, leaving us uncertain and unsettled. That's how Thomas, also called Didymus, the twin, that's how Thomas, the twin, must have felt. The other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Doubt. How could all of this or any of this be true? But all of a sudden, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. If you had never heard this Bible account or never read it before, 
What would you expect Jesus right here and right then to say to Thomas? Thomas, if I told you once, I told you a dozen times. I had to come to Jerusalem to die to pay for sins and then to rise to prove that the payment is all true, that God accepted it. How much wax did you have in your ears? Did you have a mask, not just over your mouth, but over your eyes? How do you think it happened that a lame man whom everyone knew was disabled and crippled from birth got up and walked? How did a leper whose skin disease everyone knew was incurable, got a clean bill of health. How do you think it happened that Lazarus, whose flesh was decomposing and starting to stink after four days in the tomb, came trundling out, smiling and smelling like a rose? Thomas, I didn't need a key to get out of my tomb and I didn't need a key to get into this room. What's the matter with you? But Jesus didn't say that, did he? He showed Thomas his hands and feet and simply said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. In other words, I'm real. This is no hoax. I'm alive. My payment for your sin, even your sin of doubting, is real. And because of what I did, God loves you. And he always will. Jesus didn't need a key to get into that room in Jerusalem with those disciples. And he didn't need a key to get into Thomas' heart. He is the key. Removing doubt. And then, and then he carried out a fantastic miracle. He peered across the centuries ahead in time like riding in some fantastic futuristic time machine. And with better insight than with a catheter tube micro camera, he peers into your heart and mine. And he sees us locked down and shaking with our doubts. And he says to us, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the greatest and most highly attested miracle ever. He wasn't seen by just a few, but by thousands. And how about this? Would anyone... Would anyone, much less those who are there to see it, be willing to die for a hoax? I don't think so. When, when you are connecting with friends and wishing them a happy Easter season, you can certainly talk about Easter baskets and chocolate-covered bunnies, jelly beans, and whether or not they had ham on Easter Day last week. All that stuff is fun and fine. But don't forget to point to what Easter is really all about, the risen Lord. He doesn't need a key to get into our hearts. He is the key, removing doubt. So there it is on the news every day, the death toll because of the coronavirus. And we get these reminders then every day that our time on this earth is limited. We get these reminders about our coming demise, that death is on the horizon for each one of us. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's scary. Death, death, the thought of death is scary and it seems so confining, especially if you have ever stood next to a casket being lowered 
into the ground and see a cement slab dropped on top of it and six feet of dirt. I wonder if that's how the disciples were thinking about Jesus' death and burial. They knew he was dead, really dead, and buried. And in a caved-out rock-like, rock-hewn tomb, laid on a slab or a shelf in there, and sealed with a stone. His death seemed so final, so confining. But then, with the doors locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He was really alive. His resurrection made all the difference. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They would eventually experience physical death, but they would never, ever die eternally. That's exactly what Jesus told Mary and Martha before he raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die eternally. Jesus didn't need a key to get into that house, into that room with those disciples. He is the key, removing the sting of death. The Apostle John was there that Easter evening and the next week when Jesus appeared and Thomas too was there. John was there. He saw our living Lord, touched him, talked to him, and then just for us, the Apostle John in this chapter writes these Interesting and concluding words. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you, you may have life in his name. Do you know and believe that you are a sinner and deserve God's anger forever? Do you know and believe that Jesus paid for all of those sins, all of yours and everyone else's, and rose again from the dead to prove that God has accepted his payment? Do you believe that? Well, well then you're not going to die in hell forever. You are going to live forever. Oh, yes, you and I will experience physical death, unless, of course, Judgment Day occurs first. But we will never, ever experience separation from God's love and acceptance and ongoing care. We will never experience eternal death. Jesus doesn't need a key to get into your home or apartment, and he doesn't need a key to get into our hearts. He is the key. He is the key, removing the last enemy, eternal death, and giving us everlasting life. What I find most Amazing and unique about this Bible account, along with this grand assurance from Jesus of his peace, that we're at peace with God forever, is that he not only unlocked the doors of these disciples' hearts, he also propelled them out the doors of this house to tell other people so that other people too could experience the release from fear and doubt and the anxiety of eternal death. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are forgiven. He gave them keys. And those keys, the message of pointing out sin, but pointing to the Savior, those keys have been placed into your hands and mine. There are are plenty of people all around this land and those whom you know quite well. Now we're socially distant apart from them, but there are lots and lots of people filled with fear 
and uncertainty and doubts and anxiety. What if? What if this is God's unique way of unlocking the doors of opportunity for you, not just to offer assistance for those who might need it, but to share with them and to offer to them the key that will release them from fear and doubt and the worry and anxiety of being separated from God forever. You can right now, even during this COVID-19 virus situation, this safer at home time, you can right now connect with others by old school snail mail, by email, text, by a phone call, through social media. And you can share with them the assuring and wonderful news that we might be locked down in our houses and apartments during this virus situation. But Jesus doesn't need a key to get into our hearts or theirs. Jesus is the key. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, visit www.gracedowntown.org. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.